Space Podcast. Hey everyone, this amazing ESO Network show is brought to you by our fine sponsor, Amazon.com. Please remember to shop Amazon for all your geeky needs, no matter what time of the year it is. All you need to do is go to ESOPodcast.com slash ESOAmazon. Or click on the Amazon banner on the ESO Network webpage to go to our e-store. It's the best way to shop and the best way to support this program, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Okay, that's enough of me babbling for now. Now on with your regular scheduled show. Hi, this is Mark. Congratulations. You have found this amazingly awesome show. Chances are you're listening to it right now on whether it's iTunes or Stitcher Radio or some other mobile app that allows you to stream this amazingly awesome show to your ear holes. And I can't stress how awesomely amazing this show really is. But did you know that you can also catch the latest episode of this show on the Tangibound Network? That's right. Go check out TangiboundNetwork.com. You can look them up and you can listen to it right there. It's even mobile friendly. What more could you ask for? Which means you can pull it up on your iPhone or your Android, even your Windows phone. Yeah, who has one of those? But still, point remains, you can do it. You can do it. Check it out. TangiboundNetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. Check it out. I'm Chris Farrell from the official GunnaGeek.com podcast, a proud member of the GunnaGeek Network, just like the show you're listening to now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On today's show, we're breaking down the latest Nintendo news. J.J. Abrams piling Star Wars 9, Week 2 in the NFL, and more as we reach our next stop, the PCC Multiverse. Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry. That quivering, blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. And we're back with another episode of the PCC. See Multiverse. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today. And first off, we want to thank everybody out there that's tuned into the show, especially on iTunes, because hey, we got uh, on our Pop Culture Cosmos show, which was our last program, we got our largest volume of iTunes Apple Podcast listeners to date. So we truly appreciate you downloading and listening to the podcast via there or any other way that you stream it and podcast, including the podcast radio network where our three shows, the Attack of the Humanicans, the Pop Culture Cosmos show, and this show, the PC Multiverse, are three of the top 10 shows on the network. And let's bring in the guy, the man, the myth, the legend behind Attack of the Humanicans. He is the mastermind of Humanic Media. It's Josh Peterson. What's up, my friend? Three shows in the top 10 of the Podcast Radio Network ain't too shabby. I know. Jeez, I don't even like listening to myself, but apparently people enjoy listening to us. <laughs> indeed, indeed. <laughs> but it's just truly, truly appreciate everyone out there listening to everything that, we, that we're putting out as far as, you know, we cannot thank you enough for doing it. It's all because of you. That's why we're doing it. So we truly appreciate it. 
What's coming up with all the great stuff from Humanican Media? Let's see, a uh, new Super BS on Monday. Other than that, though, you just had a new Topiocalypse is already up. The rest of episode four, a new Attack of the Humanicans, which will probably be Super BS this week. And yeah, just we, I released a bunch of stuff this week. So you got a new What About This to listen to, a new Inside Sports, and all that good stuff. So, And there's like two episodes of Topicocalypse that you put on YouTube. Is that correct? Right, yeah. So I'm uh, I'm trying to uh, work on the website right now. So I'm trying, just trying to launch everything I have so I can throw it all up there at once. Uh, fair enough, indeed. That's a lot of great stuff going down. That is Attack of the Humanicans, Tuesday night, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on the Podcast Radio Network, and also as well the Super BS Gamescast, the What About This program, also as well Topicocalypse and Guardians of the Geek, and also as well you know everything else going on within the framework of Humanica Media. You want to check it out on Facebook and Twitter, and then also their shows on YouTube, Podbean, iTunes, AK, Apple Podcasts, et cetera, et cetera. So just a lot of great stuff going on there with Humanica Media. But we got to get into today's program because I'll tell you what, we've got a great lineup for you indeed. We got Rob McCallum coming on this show in a little bit. He wants to talk more about J.J. Abrams taking the role as director on episode nine. And we're going to go back and forth on our thoughts on, on that as well, along with some other pop talk. Tyler Baker is, is filling us in on week two with the NFL and what he's looking forward to this weekend in the NFL. And then also we're going to talk a little bit about the craze of the latest Adult Swim cartoon that's sweeping the nation. That's Rick and Morty. It's, it's really just done a, a bang up job. It's now one of the big shows on Sunday night. And we're going to talk about that more later in the broadcast, plus another great song from Plasma Z. But first, we want to talk a little bit about some video gaming because uh, video games really needs to take the center stage this week with Nintendo and their Nintendo Direct. So, Josh, did you get a chance to look into detail about what's going on with the Nintendo Direct and some of the announcements that they made, including a good look more at Super Mario Odyssey? Yeah, let me just start out by saying this new platform Nintendo has for making announcements is I'm is very cool like i'm i'm loving how we don't have to wait till you know these big game shows to see what's coming out from nintendo because anytime they have something to talk about they have these quick little 30 minute directs and they are uh you know whether whether or not it's something that we want they're still it's very informative so props to them and yeah so there's there's a lot I see they so we finally got a, a release date for uh, Skyrim on Switch, which is November 17th, I want to say. And then they uh, talked about Xenoblade Chronicles finally got release date, and that's December? Finally. Yeah, another December release for Xenoblade Chronicles 2, so that's uh, definitely something to look forward to as yeah. well. And Bethesda getting into the uh, Nintendo Switch arena, I think, is a really good idea because... I don't feel like their VR games are going to be that big a hit. So I feel like getting involved in Nintendo is actually a good way to make up sales from what they're going to be missing on their VR stuff. Uh, you know, they got what Doom is coming out and uh, Wolfenstein 2 is going to be coming out in 2018. So, it, you know, there's, there's a lot of good stuff to look forward to there. And there's also a confirmation as well on Skyrim in November for the Nintendo Switch. Holiday 
2017 for Doom, and then like you said, 2018 for Wolfenstein to the New Order. Even though it will be already out for at least three, four months on PS4, uh, Xbox One, and PC platforms, but that's still a good sign for Nintendo Switch because I think it gives it a better portfolio to look at, a more desirable portfolio for gamers to look at and to have those options because your feelings, and you mentioned this on a previous podcast, are not alone because a lot of individuals that have a Switch, and they're now much easier to find than they were in the past because I've seen, I've been to department stores already and seen some of their almost as many as a dozen as far as in certain stores and certain department outlets that have them. So they are available out there. So the shortage is not there like it once was with the Wii or like it was earlier with the Switch or what might be during the holiday season. But I just want to say that it's it's really good to see their portfolio lining up because a lot of people that bought a Switch early on, like you, Josh, they played it, they played through Zelda, and then there wasn't really much left unless you're really hardcore playing Splatoon 2 or ARMS, correct? Right, and even like the Zelda DLC is not exactly um, DLC in the common sense that we look at. It's more uh, kind of like extra challenges you can do if you want to. There's not really a lot of story stuff going on there. So, you know, Zelda's fun, but it's not, not a lot of replayability there. We actually anticipated this to be an issue that there was this dearth of, of you know this 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 gap this void of quality games coming to the switch so at least having bethesda trio of wolfenstein tune new order doom and also as well skyrim coming to the nintendo switch definitely that's a good sign to have some good quality and plus xenoblade chronicles 2 that should be at least a very good game as well if it takes anything from the original Xenoblade Chronicles. So that's definitely something to look forward to. And Super Mario Odyssey as well. So that's a nicer lineup. But there's also some other things that were mentioned as well. Not necessarily a virtual console, but some retro hits coming. And then also a new option for, for gamers who are still holding on to the 3DS, correct? Right, yeah. I, I'll... Well, basically, there's there's a Mario there's Mario favorites like a hundred I think different Mario type challenges that are it's going to be a game packed with those type of small little mini games, so to speak, within within a combination of that that's coming to the 3ds, sort of like a sort of like a Mario Party per se that's coming oh, to. Fun. And then there's also retro gaming coming to to the Switch as well, correct? Right. So that you know they only announced what three or four ga- four or five games probably, and one of them Super Mario. I I would hope they're going to release more as they go, but I think this is kind of their way of saying, I would hope that's their way of saying, hey, we know you guys want the virtual console, we're working on it, but for now, here's some stuff to kind of tide you over. Um, yeah, you know, they got uh, Super Mario, I forget what the complete list of games is, but it's uh, it, it's stuff to play, and I'm curious how, you know, whether if they're just going to throw it out on their market, if we're going to see... Uh, more of a system like that instead of the virtual console. So we'll just time, you know, time will tell with that. But it's good to see that they're listening to fans and kind of uh, making their marketing plan uh, expand on what we have been asking for, which is something Nintendo doesn't normally do. So it's nice to kind of see them moving in that direction. One thing I did want to ask you the bundle that is coming out this holiday season with Super Mario Odyssey attached, that's still going to be a hot ticket regardless. But 
the fact is is that it's coming out at a price point of three seventy nine ninety nine, which to me is kind of disappointing. Yes, it's coming with a special edition screen protector and another carrying case for uh, like a carrying case of sleeve or what have you for it. Uh, that's special Super Mario Odyssey style. But really, in essence, it's 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 they're not very valuable things to add on, and it's just basically they're charging you. 20 extra dollars than if you bought it separately. So I ask you, is this something that could uh, annoy people who haven't yet bought a Switch to having paid that kind of extra money for that type of bundle? You think Nintendo masters of maxing it out as far as the price are concerned and maybe even gouging on, on a, at different occasions are, are doing it once again? I, I look at it this way. I, it's when I, when I look at bundles, I look at the the companies bundling things together, it will sell because it's come. I think right, it's coming out right around holiday season this this year, so it, it will sell because people will want you know if they they want a Nintendo Switch, they want Super Mario. People will buy it for their kids, and you know they'll probably buy it for themselves too. And then, but you look at it this way: GameStop is still bundling games or bundling Switch stuff for like game, both GameStop and Best Buy are still bundling things for like four hundred dollars. So you kind of look at it as the lesser of two evils and if you want i mean at least it comes with something that you want instead of like all this you know you're gonna buy a from gamestop or best buy you buy a nintendo switch and you get what like a uh, a screen cleaner that has a zelda shape on it like it's it's completely ridiculous at least with these nintendo bundles you're getting something valuable to you something you can actually use whereas you know the other other stores just try to hawk random accessories at you and that's the sad thing too. Like I know when the Switch first came out, it was GameStop was making you spend all this money for stuff that they were just hadn't had an excess of. It wasn't really anything you needed. Yeah, that's true. But it's still, I kind of find it annoying that they're tacking on an additional twenty dollars. But they're going to sell it. They're going to sell through it, and that's what Nintendo does. And if any chance to gouge, they're going to do it. And little accessories aside, that yes, they may be something that could be useful. I just think it's an easy pack in for or something maybe that costs them maybe a buck a piece at the most and and that they're really making an additional side profit off of it was once again because they understand the market better than a whole lot of us uh, as well. So I guess that that's all right for them um, because if you buy it people out there then you know what more power to you indeed. What are your thoughts out there on what was announced in Nintendo Direct? Are you excited for the Bethesda games? Xenoblade Chronicle 2 finally getting release dates, uh, Skyrim, Doom, uh, Wolfenstein 2, the new Colossus actually coming over and, and being part of the actual Switch lineup. Are you excited about that? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, Humanican Media, and GameSource on Facebook and Twitter as well. Well, like I said, we got a great program for you today. We got Rob McCallum with a lot more pop talk coming up right after the break. And then also as well, later in the program, stopping by for week two of the NFL. It's our own man in the know when it comes to fantasy football. It's Tyler Baker from the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast. And we truly appreciate him coming over as well. So it's going to be a great program indeed. But, you know, it's that time again. We cannot have an episode of the PCC Multiverse without our good friend, Elijah Harrison. He is better known as Plasma Z. And this is Level 1, and this... Level 1. 
is the PCC Multiverse. Thanks for checking out the PCC, you know, the Pop Culture Cosmos. We'll be back in one moment. Check out what's been going on with the Pop Culture Cosmos show and the PCC Multiverse. I would say Rogue One has a more worn feel. And I love it for that because it looks a lot like New Hope, where everything isn't shiny and plastic like the Star Trek films. We always talk about timelines and the franchises that we love. And now it's kind of like, okay, now we're going to do a Han story. Now we're going to do Obi-Wan story. People do still like to go into movies and watch things that are different, watch things that are not related to superhero franchises. With him, you might get the Russell West. Kevin Durant leaves and he goes, I'm not going anywhere. This is my team. I'm laid up for the long haul. 
if you're into like very strategic style games and the co-op games in general, it's a highly recommended game overall. Adds a sense of depth and personality that would escalate fighting games to a higher degree. That's the Pop Culture Cosmo Show. And the PCC Multiverse. Every week on the Podcast Radio Network and Apple Podcasts. And over a dozen of your favorite streaming and podcasting options. And we're back with the show. This is Gerald Glassford from the Pop culture cosmos my name is gerald glassford once again that was nice and smooth like a chai tea latte there you go from pop (laughs) culture cosmos and game source we truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast again and it's that time again it's time for some more pop talk and uh, (laughs) (laughs) something catchy something catchy what can i say it's and here back copyable. well there you go and cosmic here, crossfire there, there you go. go oh no no that that uh that's cnn's deal and here back with me again is my good friend the director of nintendo quest missing mom and so many other projects including kitty the anthology and also as well box art the great upcoming series and he's got a great new documentary that just earned a, a ton of acclaim last week when it debuted which he will tell you more about it's rob mccallum how are you my friend i uh, doing well i love these satellite cross-country uh inter international podcasts that we do now now that i'm in the great white north in a whole different time zone and you are in sunny sunny south southwest united states yes yes too sunny needs more rain the days are getting shorter, it seems, as we drift into the the ether of the slumbering winter. Winter is coming, as they say, right? Oh, my gosh. Goes with the uh, Game of Thrones references. My there goodness. You go. I, there still, you. I still have to get caught up on Season 7, Part 1. I'm still behind. I, I did this past week, and, and I'm all caught up to date. Josh has finally uh, stopped picking on me for that, so I'm, I'm glad I'm caught up to date. Okay, and- but here's the difference. In Canada... And this is going to be relevant to, to our cosmic roundup of pop culture news that has been scattered across the, the, the multiverse, so to speak. Okay. In Canada, you cannot get HBO a la carte. You can't just pay 15 bucks for HBO now. Really? You have to buy a cable package still in Canada. And it's not just a cable package. You have to buy the premium cable package. So you have to get basic cable, which is like 30 bucks plus your standard channels. Then you have to get the movie channel package which is another 40 bucks so now you're at 70 and then you have to add hbo on top of that which is 15 dollars. so you have to pay 85 bucks a month to get hbo in canada minimum not no good it's no good so that is why i'm behind when i was in the u.s i was you know an hbo now subscriber my subscription does not carry over north of the border Alas, I have no idea what is going on. I have no idea who the king of the north is, who is occupying Winterfell these days, or what is going on with the Iron Throne. But well, hopefully but, soon. Well, okay. I mean, they, they uh, it drops digitally uh, and on disc, I think, on September 25th. So a couple more weeks and I can find it. All right. Well, don't listen to the rest of our last podcast that we had then. Okay. Well, then. Spoilers were there. So. Anyways, uh, there's some a lot of great things that's out there in the pop culture universe that we need to talk about, and some things that our good friend Mr. Jay Bartlett is also, you know, just like whoo, he's he's a uh, tune into as well, knowing him right now. So 
Well, I'll just let you take it away on some of the uh, hottest pop culture topics that you want to talk about, my friend. So I leave it over to your good hands. What pray tell is on your mind? Well, I think we have to start at the top of this since we, we discussed it last week. And I know you're expecting us to cover it once again. I, I'm even sure that you've had some notes jotted down in front of you about this. And that's that J.J. Abrams is, is in the director and writing seat for Star Wars Episode Nine. I know you've got thoughts on this. Is this good, bad, ugly, or sad? Well, I'll tell you what. I, I'm not in love with it because I thought he did a great job of reigniting the love for the Star Trek franchise and also did a very, very commendable job of bringing back around the Star Wars franchise, obviously, with The Force Awakens. When uh, he went out about Star Trek Into Darkness, I personally found it enjoyable, almost as enjoyable as his previous film. But I know a lot of people didn't like it as much. But hey, money-wise, it actually made just as much as as its predecessor. So that being said, I'm not in love with the prospect of him doing it. Uh, I don't know. Just something about it just does not to me, feel right, the fact he's going to be writing and directing it. I think he did a great job on its own, and I think it, like you and I were talking about, it would be great if we could get a fresh face to actually close out this part of the trilogy on a definite high note as far as from critically and cinematically as well. Yeah, you know, I think what this comes down to for for Lucasfilm is that, and Kathleen Kennedy is the head, this was the safest choice for them to make. They had already an established relationship that clearly went well, as evidenced by the fact that he wasn't fired, unlike everybody else in, in, that's tied to a Star Wars film at this point. It performed well at the box office. He's handled big projects before. He's handled a Star Wars film before. He's gone on the record saying before he was you know, brought in to do this that he wished he had not passed up doing Episode Eight. And at that point, there was still discussion of possibly Ryan Johnson taking episode nine, but still being the scribe on episode eight and nine. So I think it's safe for them to allow Abrams to come in and do this. And I think it's safe for them to keep the Star Wars Skywalker saga legacy tied with less people. There's it's Abrams and it's Ryan Johnson. And like, that's it for seven, eight, nine. Those are the writers. And well, Lawrence Kasdan as well. And to a lesser degree, Michael Arndt. Uh, who was an early writer on episode seven, but between Lawrence Kasdan, JJ Abrams and Ryan Johnson, those are like, that's like the trilogy of power for episode seven, eight, nine plus Kathleen Kennedy, of course. So it's the safest move possible that Lucasfilm could have done. It's not exciting to me. I found episode seven kind of bland and like not predictable. And like, I knew what was going to happen plot wise, but predictable in that this isn't, uh, a blockbuster movie so this must feel like a blockbuster movie and it did it felt cookie cutter it felt you know shellacked and polished the way that it was going to what i liked about where these other directors were coming in it was going to give a different sense of style and personality and add a little bit of texture in different places so maybe ryan johnson with episode eight will surprise us I, i'm calling it now because he is doing episode eight it's the empire slot he is the different director in this trilogy now people are going to probably be drawn to that one. I think they're going to like the odd guy out one, so to speak. Uh, but I, I think it's not good, bad, ugly, or sad. I think it's just safe. 
And oftentimes when you play it safe in the film industry, you don't get the greatest results. No, and, and I, I I agree with you on that because and you could just tell from my voice, it's just you know, it's like okay, but I was hoping for something like I said, a fresh voice that has a genuine love for the Star Wars series to step into that third slot and and because there's so many great filmmakers out there, film directors such as yourself, of course, that could admirably fill the role and actually put something in place that would leave the series on a high note, correct? Yeah, I mean, and who knows what's going to happen after Episode Nine? They said the Skywalker story will end. Does anything ever really end with the Disney marketing machine? Never really. I get why that's kind of like the artificial end, but uh, I, this is too big to ever say this is going to end in any which way. So I don't know that you can ever really go out on a high note. All you can do is really, really take advantage of the opportunity to really make some great cinema at this point because like, you've got the budget. You've got the audience. You have the opportunity to do something different. Don't turn out three of the same films because even if the story is good and the script is good, if three films all feel the same, then it's going to be a lackluster experience. Sure. You're going to make money, but when you go to sleep at night and you had the chance to do three films that were like unique and colored and, and varied on their own, on the, in their own ways, still set in a galaxy far, far away. That's far more enticing. And that's going to have a greater impact kind of going forward. I think honestly, this is right now off the top of my head. The problem with this is it feels like it's Avatar-ish. James Cameron doing all these Avatar films. There's nothing wrong with the films, but they don't have that impact that something like Star Wars does have. Like, like almost like an assembly line format, correct? Yeah, it's just churning out the widgets, churning out the widgets. And I understand a lot of this stuff is about trying to understand the process and hone it and, and, get, and get good at it. Filmmaking is very hard, so it's not like, oh, you can just pop this person in and pop this person off, and you know it's just easy. It's not that easy. So the the tendency to want to play it safe is, is completely understood, and it's not lost on me. But like you said, Gerald, with so many filmmakers that they could go to that would die to have a chance to work with Lucasfilm on this. It just feels like a missed opportunity, ergo possibly resulting in a less impactful film than episode nine could have been. Well, I, like I said, I agree with you on that. I just, it's there. It's, you know, I'm not like you. I'm not sad about it. I'm not disappointed. Well, I am a little disappointed, I guess. Uh, I'm just, could have been something better, but you know, it's going to be something that I guess, like you said, is safe as far as a way to close out the series. I think JJ Abrams will have something in place that, you know, like we said, you know, he knows how to create these blockbusters. He knows how to, to how to manage them. He knows how to deal with uh, obviously Lucasfilm and Kathleen Kennedy, and knows what they want and expect. So he's been able to deliver before for the Star Wars franchise, and I, I don't see him not being able to to do the same and the third one. It's just you, like you said, you 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 as a filmmaker and also someone who respects the film art like i do i was hoping for something a little bit more and a great way to close it out the series but then again episode 10 will probably be around the corner after that two to three years later so that'll start a whole new chain of events and a whole new trilogy within that realm of the star wars universe so maybe they can go ahead with three different auteurs at that point in time 
Speaking of Disney, uh, Francis Xavier Atencio is a Disney animator and Imagineer who passed away at the age of 98. For those of you that don't know what an Imagineer is, it's basically an, an, an imagining engineer who the primary role was to basically engineer attractions at theme parks, and in this case, bring, the, bring attractions to life that were based on Disney properties. Uh, as an animator... X, as, as he was known, uh, worked on Pinocchio, worked on Fantasia. He also was responsible for a lot of the stuff that you see in the Haunted Mansion attractions and Pirates of the Caribbean, as well as other landmark Disney attractions. Obviously a great talent. This got me thinking, though, what is the future of, of amusement parks and how are they going to be tied into it? And how is that science of Imagineering being passed on? Because it feels like you can't really go to school for something like that. Is it always going to be, here's a big movie, here's something, and here's a roller coaster with a sticker on the side of it for the logo of the movie? What is the science of bringing experiences to an audience? Where is that going to lead us going forward? Do you have any thoughts? Well, actually, I do. Uh, and actually, worked his brilliance working with the Pirates of the Caribbean actually worked that the other way around where it was the ride first and it was so enjoyable and became such a staple and a mainstay of the entire Disneyland landscape with Disney World and go and, you know and just all the different and numerous theme parks Disney has around the world that look what happened a box office smash hit series came out of it same with from, the haunted mansion yeah, same with the Haunted Mansion, although <laughs> kind of not uh, quite the numbers that that the Pirates of the Caribbean series has done. You know, I'm still waiting for that. You know, Haunted Mansion uh, uh, sequel to come out. You know, anytime soon. So, anyways, but you, you get my drift as far as it worked the other way around. Going forward, you're right. A lot of studios and a lot of the uh, theme parks that are out there. You know, Six Flags series that goes all over the country in the United States. Uh, also, as well, Universal. And then also as well, Disney has even gotten their feet into it with the Avatar series and now Star Wars Land, where they're just building properties and rides off of it. So you're seeing that now the other way around. And going back, you know that that could it be a lost art? It definitely could be a lost art uh, as far as that type of concept and engineering is concerned. But uh, hopefully, you know, there will be someone out there going forward in the future, whether they through Disney, through Universal Studios, through what have you, will still be able to capture that magic. We'll still be able to say, what do the people coming to these theme parks actually want to do? And that's something uh, that, and what do they want to experience? And that's something I hope will still come into play and somebody will be able to regain that magic once again. You know, I haven't gone to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter in either Florida or L.A., and I haven't seen the new Avatar land at Animal Kingdom and Disney World in Orlando. I just, neither of those seems really that appealing to me. Maybe the Harry Potter a, a little bit more, but it doesn't feel like anything that I've read that it is something brand new. The it's not brand thing, new though. It's it is something familiar. I went to the it Orlando doesn't, it just doesn't one last year. Feel like something that I gotta do. There's there's no impetus to to be a part of that. There's no wonder because I feel like I've seen the movies. I'm kind of done with them because there are eight of them. But and it doesn't sound like you're you're a top notch, top tier fan like me. You're not I love the Harry Potter series. I just feel like I've got enough out of it. I don't think that I'm going to get much more 
by having a glass of butter beer and being surrounded by the landscape. My wife enjoyed it thoroughly because she is a huge fan. I did have butter beer there and it didn't taste so good. So anyways, uh, outside of that, and it does, especially the Orlando part from what I've been able to conversate with people in regards to the California versus Orlando, the Orlando version of the Harry Potter world is actually a more extensive recreation of it because obviously space issues uh, were probably the primary concern, but uh, it just seems like it's a, a great recreation for those who enjoy the books as opposed to the movies who are real followers of the books and whatnot. Those who follow the movies or watch the movies maybe like I did, uh, it was all right, but I, I wanted to see other parts of the Universal theme park myself. So I, I can understand that aspect of it. But yeah, is there going to be that one individual that's going to recapture the imagination for those? Or is it going to go... You see now, Rob, when you go to a Disneyland, a Disney World, what have you, that they're more interactive or augmented reality, virtual reality type themes that are going to be actually implemented within these rides so that that's something that the animatronics whatnot those may go by the wayside in the future and be replaced by a whole virtual or augmented reality type format well i anybody that knows me knows my thoughts on replacing the tangible with the synthetic and the digital and i think that's a big mistake i think part of the charm for stuff that is at disney world and disneyland are these experiences that are not based on movies Pirates of the Caribbean, like you said, was not based on a movie. The ride existed first. Same with Haunted Mansion. Those were experiences that you could only have there. And your and your first contact with that was in, in Disneyland or Disney World. So, like, the film was borrowing off that magic from the ride. And so the ride could exist on its own instead of being a parody or a shorter version of the film experience that the viewer had. So more of that is what I think is great. Um, I got to point to Star Wars again. I think the Star Wars land seems like there's going to be a whole new Star Wars experience for people that exists completely outside of the film in ways that Harry Potter Wizarding World doesn't purport to do for a guest. So that'll be. Well, I'm hoping you're right on that because I I want to go in 2019. So that's like you're a madman if you're going to go the opening year of that. But I know that you are mad and that you will likely do it. I just think it would be really a cool trip. So, yes, it is going to be crowded, indeed, and I'll fight the crowds for it. But uh, it just seems like a great time, indeed. But I uh, want to pay respects to, obviously, the family and condolences on on his passing. And I'm just hoping, again, like I said, that these theme parks will around the world will be able to gain that vision and understand what makes these theme parks work. And why do so many millions of people go to these theme parks and what are they looking for and be able to recapture that magic instead of just going ahead and, oh, let's take this property all the time and just you know, put it trying to implement something that's uh, okay, but not really something that's going to make a memorable experience. Rob, it's always great to talk to you, especially bringing up the latest topics in pop culture you're always welcome to come back on the show to do so. I always love these great pop talks whenever we get a chance to to chat right here on the pop culture cosmos. That was no smooth chai tea latte that time. <laughs> Hi, this is Josh from Ghost Toasters, and you're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. 
Hi, I'm Joe Heath. I'm Tony Heath. And we're going to watch every episode of Doctor Who and then talk to you about it. Every episode? Every single one. In order? From an unearthly child to, you know, the future. And we're going to do it in a podcast that we call... The Watchathon of Rassilon. Watcherassilon.com. And we're also a part of the ESO Network, so check us out or whatever. Please. Stay Rassil Awesome. Stop trying to make Rassil Awesome a thing. Nope. And we're back with the program. This is Gerald Glasser from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate being part of the broadcast here today. And I'll tell you what, week two in the NFL. I wish I, I could use that, that thundering old classic NFL, you know, it was a tundra, was it snow and the beach, you know, whatnot. Because uh, but you know, there's copyright issues. Oh my gosh, I've already yeah. had to deal with I've, I've already had to deal with copyright issues again this week. So oh boy. you know, with the with the YouTube and all that. So I don't want to do that. But anyways, it's another great weekend in the NFL. Week two in the NFL is now mm. here. We won't really talk about the Thursday game because if you've seen the Thursday game, it's really not much worth talking about. But anyways, for the rest of the week, it's a great time indeed because back again is our good friend and the man in the know when it comes to fantasy football, Mr. Tyler Baker of the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast. How are you, my friend? I'm very well. How are you? Good, good. It's just, you know, one of those, or uh, I used to love those NFL films, uh, especially when it dealt with the Raiders as far as, you know, dun, 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 like a pirate, you know, not the announcer. Slow what, uh, motion, yeah. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Slow motion, stiff arms. Exactly, yeah. exactly. You know, you know, they would talk about the pirates and, you know, and all that. Yeah. But anyways, <laughs> I digress. So it's another great weekend in the NFL. I'll tell you what, there's a lot of matchups we're talking about, but more importantly, for your show, the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast, how can they get a hold of your great podcast so that they can listen to it three times a week and get the best updates they can so they, they can make a proper changes, people out there, for their fantasy football rosters? You can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Libsyn, all those places. I'm going to try to get them on more sites next week. I also have a Facebook group, Fantasy Football Paydirt Podcast group on Facebook. And I use that to help people set their lineups. If people have roster questions, who do I need to pick up on the waiver wire? They can take screenshots of their team, screenshots of what's on the waiver wire, and I'll get on there and I guarantee I'll get on there and help them uh, the most informed decision that they can. And I also got you covered on Overcast.fm. I gave you that link this week as well. Sure. I just want to help people get better at fantasy football. And there's a couple of ways to do that. One, people have to make informed decisions. You have to know what's going on. And also, it takes a bit of experience and discernment to kind of feel your way through things sometimes. And that's why Sundays and Mondays, I do nothing but watch football. That's all I do. I watch the games. I take notes. And even on my podcasts, I'll do a couple podcasts of just game film reviews. Here's what I saw. Because we've all seen the box scores. We've all seen the stats. Unless you're watching the games, you don't understand the context around those stats. And that's where a guy like me can come in and say, hey, the numbers were big, but the performance wasn't. And so just helping people make make informed decisions. Uh, I usually let people make their own decisions. I'll weigh in. But as long as they're informed, then they can have fun playing fantasy football. And that's what it's about. It's about having fun playing fantasy football. 
It is indeed, and I'll tell you what, there's no better place to do it than the Fantasy Football Pater podcast. But let's start breaking things down a bit with your advice and your draft, you know, obviously your big draft kit that came out. I was able to select some teams as per what your rankings held. My team so far, 1-0 with the big win this past weekend. Nice. And like a lot of others that followed your advice, I'm sure they're doing well as, you know, indeed as, sure. as well. But I want to talk first off with some possible problems and situations with some of the great receivers out there. And we'll start with Mr. ODB himself, who kind of inferred that his injury is now much more serious than we thought. Yeah, so today was his first day practicing. It was a limited practice, but he was out there. He was running. He was jumping. He was cutting. Uh, it was still a limited practice. He wasn't on the 7-7 seven and seven or 11-on-11 11 11 drills, uh, just individual work. This is the first time he's done it since the injury. And he gets into the locker room and says, yeah, well, this is – and they were asking him if he was going to be able to play. And he goes, well, this was a six- or eight-week injury. Wait a second. Nobody ever said anything about six to eight week injury. Now, this is only coming from Odell Beckham. And now he wasn't giving that time frame as per today. It was from the original injury. It's been three and a half weeks since he hurt the ankle. It was just really weird. I don't know if he's toying with reporters. And it didn't sound like that there was any kind of a setback with the ankle because he participated in a practice. So the Friday injury report, when that comes out, that'll tell us a lot more. But going into this weekend, I would say he's probably doubtful. But who really knows? There's There's been so much speculation about this and very, very little information from the team about what's going on until he comes out and says six to eight weeks, which... Uh, I, I think he might be playing with us, but we'll see. Fr Friday's um, injury report will tell us a lot. Well, let's certainly hope so for fantasy football owners indeed. Also as well, another major receiver that's out there that had a great bit of success last week is Golden Tate, and he's listed currently as questionable. What's his status going into this weekend's action, and should you play him if he, you, know, you have him on your roster like, <laughs> like me? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, he hurt his finger early in that game. I can't remember exactly, like maybe like the second drive, but I'm pretty sure it was in the first quarter. And you could see him hurt it. It, it almost, from what he did with his hands, you know, he kind of pulled it out. It seemed like a jam finger. But he finished playing the game. And it certainly did not affect him in that game. He had a monster game. Going into this weekend, I am not concerned about it at all. He has torched the Giants in the past, and I think there's a really good chance he could torch them again this week, especially if the Giants are without Odell Beckham. Now, as far as, as the Giants last week, what we saw, we did not see Brandon Marshall get much work at all. Uh, we did see a lot from Shane Vereen. So if somebody out there and they need you know, kind of an emergency plug-in play, Shane Vereen might be somebody to consider. I think Evan Ingram, the rookie tight end on New York, I think he gets a bump as well as Sterling Shepard. So what are some of the other trends that you're also seeing as well with this weekend's action? What are some of the players that people need to target or be aware of this coming weekend? Well, there are certainly some interesting matchups, uh, and it's a little bit difficult to gauge because <laughs> last week was the Twilight Zone, and I'm watching these games, and things that you expect from teams are just not happening. It was really, really weird. So that data combined with this week's data will give us a much better uh, picture of where these teams are moving forward. After the first week, it's just really hard to tell. How bad is New Orleans? 
defense. We don't know. Sam Bradford made him look really, really bad. And now they get Tom Brady this week. So, you know, there's just a lot of things that I'll be watching and I don't want to give any, any real predictions. You know, if you're talking about certain matchups, there's certain guys that I like this week, but last week just had so many outliers, so many anomalies. It's really difficult to look at this week and try to make any concrete predictions about what's going to happen. But is there any injuries that we need to be made aware of? You know, any game time possible actions that are really, you know, maybe close to maybe playing or not playing as far as that people should make a be worried about for their fantasy football rosters? Sure. There were a number of guys that have been questionable this week. As of Thursday, a lot of those guys have been taken off and have been full participants in practice. Friday's injury report is what really gives us the, uh, the best indication for the weekend. But from what I'm seeing, everybody that had an injury, including Golden Tate, they should all be pretty good to go. Odell Beckham Jr. is the only one that concerns me. There's been some news about or some um, speculation about Jay Ajayi's knee. He's always had knee issues. <laughs> so that's, and that's, that's, that's concerning to me because I also have him on my rosters. And that's why he was a fifth round pick coming out of college, not a first round pick, because there were some concerns about that knee there. He had knee problems in college and look at what he did last year. <laughs> so it seems like he's got it under control. It's always going to be a concern, but it seems like, I mean, he, he had three 200 yard games last year. I, I think his knee is okay. And this offense is in my opinion, a lot better for Jay Ajayi now because with Jay Cutler, it looks like they can actually push the ball down the field and be aggressive downfield where Tannehill was not aggressive downfield. And so I think Jay, um, Jay Cutler coming into Miami actually be a really good thing for Jay Ajayi moving forward. And one last thing, obviously last week, the upset that everybody was talking about was Kansas City coming into Foxborough Stadium and laying a whooping Big yes. time on the New England Patriots with Tom Brady looking like a 40-year-old quarterback. Should people be concerned that have Tom Brady at the top of the roster? Should they be concerned about playing him going forward, maybe taking him out a week, a couple weeks, just to gaze, to see how uh, if he comes back to, well, old, you know, standby Tom Brady form? I don't think so. He did have a couple bad passes, but one thing that I did see, he had a nice long ball to Brandon Cooks. That was my biggest concern, especially with them getting Brandon Cooks, speedster. And now they have Philip Dorsett, another speedster. And last week we saw him throw a nice deep ball. That was something that was a little bit of a concern to me if he could still do that. I don't think he looked terrible in that game, uh, he did have some bad throws. He had some bad throws early. I think that that offense just was not ready to move forward without Julian Edelman. And there has to be some stabilizing forces in there. I think Rob Gronkowski has a monster game. But keep in mind, New Orleans defense is not good. So if there's a bounce back game, New England has had 10 days to get ready for this game. Bill Belichick can, can regroup his guys. These are still the Patriots. They had a terrible game. First game of the season, bad game, but it's Bill Belichick and these are the New England Patriots. And they are facing a high-powered offense that can be shut down in New Orleans, but they are going up against that New Orleans defense. I think this is certainly a bounce-back week. I think you see a big game from James White. He's a guy that's been with that team for a while. He knows that system. He knows how to get open. So I think Rob Gronkowski, James White, we don't know yet about Amendola. I'm going to say he's probably doubtful, but again, 
Friday's injury report will tell us more, but I would not be that concerned with New England. They're still the Patriots. Okay, that's that's a load off the mind for a lot of people out there who follow sure. the Patriots or who have them on their fantasy football roster. That's some, sure. some definite good news indeed. Well, once again, Tyler, we just truly appreciate you being part of the pop culture cosmos scene and the PCC multiverse. We truly appreciate you dropping by for some more knowledge of fantasy football as we head into week two of the NFL season. Again, you need to catch... Tyler Baker and all the great stuff he's doing first off on this fantasy football Pater podcast Facebook group page where if you go and you join the group you go ahead and you can talk as far as much fantasy football questions as you like he will answer them he's been great in doing so I've been actually looking and seeing all the the responses that he's been giving back to all the individuals out there asking fantasy football questions and suggestions and whatnot he's been great in doing so and also make sure you get a hold of his podcast three times a week Tuesday Thursday and Saturday that's fantasy football Pater podcast available on Apple Podcasts Google Play Libsyn Overcast.fm and so many more outlets that he's coming on to that it'll be more than pop culture cosmos in the PCC multiverse out there. That uh, And that'll be great indeed because I'll be so happy to see someone that's out there that really knows the stuff in the world of fantasy football get out there to the listeners and tell them exactly what's going on in the fantasy football world. Tyler, it's been a great pleasure again. I love helping people get better at fantasy football, and I genuinely love coming on your show and talking to you, my friend. I look forward to next time. Awesome. I, myself as well. And we look forward again to having you always on the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. And we're back to close out the show. This is the PCC Multiverse. My name is Gerald Glasser from Pup Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you listening in, we want to also thank Rob McCallum and also as well Tyler Baker for stopping by and checking in with us as they are great guests indeed. Stay tuned in the coming uh, episodes. You know, there's going to be a lot of great stuff coming in. Uh, I've got a lot of great guests lined up that will hopefully be able to chance to talk at length on our shows, both this show, the PCC Multiverse, and also the number one show for seven months in a row. That is the Pop Culture Cosmos show. 10.30 p.m. Eastern, 7.30 p.m. Pacific on the Podcast Radio Network. And then you can also hear our shows on the Pop Culture Cosmos channels on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Ace Podcast Network, Overcast.fm, Player.fm, Google Play, Stitcher, Podcast.com, Mixcloud, the ESO Network, the Tangible Network, the Gunna Geek Network as well, Cast Crunch, social podcasts, and our home site, popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. We've got a lot of great articles that are there that you can read through that cover the world of pop culture. I know Josh has got a, another review of the latest Uncharted game that he'll be putting up there in the near future. I've got some more of the greatest 
pro wrestling entities, whether it's a tag team, whether it's a manager, whether it's the greatest women's wrestler of all time, and then also the greatest wrestler of all time, they'll have their own articles up on the site coming up as well. So we truly appreciate you checking that out indeed. Well, I can't let you go without talking about one last thing, and that's the well, one of the most popular shows on television today. And it's called Rick and Morty. And Rick and Morty, if you're a big fan of the show, you, you already know how crazy and wacky and wild it is and, and off the wall and NSFW at times. So it really it just it, it's it's really one of those shows that that actually takes a lot from South Park. And I, I know you've checked out some time with Rick and Morty, Josh. Tell me your thoughts on the whole Rick and Morty phenomenon and why you think it's so popular to viewers out there okay i have two theories on this one is really sad it's the fact that we are being entertained by such stupid things now but i can't even say that it's stupid because i find myself laughing at it when i see it on tv or on the internet or something so you know i'm 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 looking at it this way i'm looking at it kind of like my generation's version of family guy so or, it's, or South Park. Or South Park, yeah. And it's got like it's it's like forbidden fruit for kids too. So you know how we we I've ranted about this on here before, like with the, the hangover or deadpool. Little kids love that stuff because it's got all the stuff that they're not supposed to be watching. So kids are obviously since it's on Cartoon Network, they're telling their parents, Yeah, it's on Cartoon Network, it's okay. Most of the stuff on Cartoon Network, even not adult swim, is pretty uh bad. Um, because they've they over the years they've trended in that direction over the past i'd say 15 years success of robot chicken and so many other their shows space ghost coast to coast i remember that as well but so many other their shows that have hit have leaned towards an adult direction correct right and, and like some of it too like you have to like a parent wouldn't never be able to pick up on it you have to be like really quick because i my nephew is watching some of these shows and like they're on in the middle of the afternoon and they're triggered towards little kids, but they have some really dirty things in there if you sit there and watch them long enough. But yeah, back to Rick and Morty. Like I, it's a very clever show. Like it's really, they take all the stuff that we are currently talking about and they are, you know, whatever's trending and they make it into something that is actually kind of funny. Like it, it is like South Park in, in a way, but it, it kind of takes it, one step further than South Park does sometimes, and it's 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 clever. It's clever and it's stupid, and I just it's one of those things you can't help but watch. Definitely, and with South Park, they do come off very NSFW when they want to, but usually they're trying to go ahead and just have an agenda to it uh, as far as their show is concerned. I've actually been a fan of South Park over the years, but I've come in and out of the series because I've lost track and lost touch at times and come back forward. I know they just premiered recently with another episode that was geared to, well, what's going on in current politics today and our cultural environment. And that's that's something that South Park really loves to touch on. With Rick and Morty, it just seems like it's off the wall NSFW humor. And, and just like you said, the writing is very clear. And to me, it's very quick, very fast-paced, very interesting to watch. Even NSFW aside, yes, don't let your kids watch the show. That's first. I mean, because it does sound at times like very sophomoric humor. But if you you got to keep watching because, like you said, it's definitely something that, that a lot of fans like indeed. I'll tell you what, if, if you're really into that type of NSFW humor and just really like some of the, those 
adult things that are out there. Check out Rick and Morty if you haven't already, but I'm pretty sure you have because it's, like I said, it was the most popular show this past weekend on Sunday night. So that, that was out there on television, I should say. Definitely kudos to Rick and Morty uh, uh, on why the phenomenon's there. Will it fade out? Well, The Simpsons is still going relatively strong. South Park, all over the place, but it still is a moneymaker and a ratings winner for Comedy Central. And then you have also, like you said, Family Guy and whatnot. So there are those staples of American animation that deal with adult situations and adult comedy that I think Rick and Morty, at least for the next couple, three, four, five years, even longer, may hold its place with them as well. So what are your thoughts on Rick and Morty? Please let us know. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Also as well, PopCultureCosmos, Humanica Media, and GameSource on Facebook and Twitter as well. And before we get on out of here, I got to ask Josh one more time. You know all the great stuff that's coming from PopCultureCosmos, but what are the great stuff coming through down the pike from Humanica Media? Coming up, just... Attack of the Humanicans, which will probably be super BS. You'll have super BS on Monday. And, you know, check out what we've been popping up this week because it's uh, a lot of content has gone up so far this week. So you can check out two new episodes of Topicocalypse. You can check out new Inside Sports, new uh, What About This, just all kinds of good stuff. So feel free to cruise on by our uh, Facebook page or YouTube or wherever you get our content from and just keep your eyes open. And thank you. But that's that's great indeed. Uh, love to hear what, what's going on with Humanica Media. And if anybody wants to find out more, check it out on Humanica Media on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter for all the great action indeed. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise here in the PCC multiverse. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping... You have yourself a great day. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at ESOnetwork.com. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com. Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos as a special treat. We're adding a bonus episode, which starts right now. So sit back and relax as you enjoy more awesome goodness from the Pop Culture Cosmos family. And stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. Welcome to, what about this episode 10, double digits, we made it. Um, in this episode, Josh brought us a question. He is reading through Stephen King's It, and he's going to see the movie and, and read through the book, and he was wondering if, if people are going to, at some point in the near future, go away from reading eloquent or, or well-written works, intelligently, intelligently written works. Um, and so he asked that question, and we started getting into why that might be and what that might be pointing towards. Um, we talked about how, you know, we may be moving away from written works, but maybe more towards oral uh, literature. Or um, uh, we talked about like attention span and why people may not want to sit and spend the time reading, and, and how people are trained to read against how people are trained to 
uh, do other things um, or, or what that might mean for us. Um, sort of this idea of not cultivating a, a sense of reading or not cultivating a sense of imagination. And we're wondering if, if I mean, one of the things Travis brought up was our kids just not bored enough today. Um, so maybe we need to talk about that and, and how maybe even in, if we look at a bigger picture, most of our great works in history were not actually written. They were, they were performed. And so are we just moving back towards that and maybe we're losing something in that transition? Um, you know, a lot of people, for a lot of people, time is the issue. So maybe there's new methods. You know, we've talked about TV. We've talked about movies, documentaries. Kyle brought up that documentaries are kind of visual books now, and I think that's a good point for us to, to think through. Um, and then we sort of ended on this idea of the value of visual storytelling and trying to figure out maybe if that's where we're moving, what should we be looking for in our visual storytelling as well. Um, and so I, th I think it's a, it's a good sort of prescient topic about where we are with entertainment and imagination and experiencing sort of this idea of, of uh, these, these tough but, but interesting works that cause us to think deeply and, and do what Travis called the deep work of, of thinking and contemplating. So we hope you enjoy this one. Um, as always, please rate and review us on iTunes. And if you have any questions or if you have any comments or, or want to get a hold of us, follow us on Facebook. Uh, like our page on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, um, and, and send us questions or send us, uh, we love to hear your feedback, so send us feedback. Thanks for listening, everyone. Brank here from Super BS, talking about the things you know you love and the things you'd love to know. Join us weekly for a podcast about video games. Mostly. question for you guys this kind of um i guess it's sort of relevant to this week because it has come out in movie theaters and uh so i've been reading it by stephen king that the actual novel um it's like a huge book right it's a huge book yeah it's like 1200 pages is that or is that something else it's it's about, about 1500 pages oh. by the way i've i've read i just listened to a podcast on stephen king not about this topic that dude wrote has written so much do he anyway. If you, um, during the, uh, they have a special opening for the Dark Tower, and, and one of them, he says he has, a, his garage is filled with, like, unused manuscripts that he's written and never finished. All right, so my question to you is, th this book, so it is a really thick book. It's a very, like, it's full, it's very wordy, and it has, it's very descriptive, and, um, you know, we ha there's a lot of writers like that. You have Stephen King and Dean Koontz uh, among them, I guess, um. Uh, Maybe you can put James Patterson in, in some things, even though he doesn't write anymore. He has other people do it, and he takes credit. But um, oh, shots fired, <laughs> James Patterson. Yeah, well, I mean, he obviously a he, vendetta going on here. He wrote a book called "How to Be a Christian Woman." Like, how? how what, what is James he know Patterson? About that? Yeah, published. It, it was at Barnes and Noble the other day. He's also a woman. It's just, I, I, it must be, man. So I, didn't mean, even, like, I didn't realize. Two thousand seventeen. Yeah. Let me go back. Are you? Have you seen the original It? And are you interested in seeing the new one? Yeah, yeah, I saw the the nineteen eighties version. Yes, to both. Yeah, yeah. I got invited the other night to go see it, but I do want to see it. But I told them I have to go see it in the day. <laughs> I have to. I can't go home at night after seeing it. And you and and you have to be able to spend the night at your parents. Yeah. <laughs> I after I saw the ring, 
Um, I went home. I was like 17. I went home and I slept with the lights on in my room because mm. I was Jeez. terrified. Anytime I've gone to the movies and watch a scary movie, what I have to do, like almost automatically, is go home. And watch a Disney. Yeah, film. like watch cartoons. Either watch <laughs> cartoons or like watch like a comedy. Like watch and fake like, laugh as long as it takes. I watch like Parks and Rec or something like very light <laughs> until I've watched that enough to where I can like go to bed. Yeah. I, uh, after I watched The Grudge the first time, I remember I was scared of little Asian children for a long time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how, about, how about Children of the Corn? That freaks me out. That's a Stephen King book too. That yeah. movie... Or that short story. movie, yeah. or the good brother, or the good son. I think with Macaulay Culkin. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where yeah. you're like, when a five year old becomes a murderer, mm-hmm. that's where. Well, I I say there's nothing creepier in cinema than a little kid in an abandoned playground singing nursery rhymes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, <laughs> nothing good comes out of that. <laughs> Do you, have, you guys ever see the uh, Rob Zombie remake of Halloween? Yes. And no, shows how. No, yes. because he see, I've never understood. The desire to watch scary movies. Because I've seen It. I have zero interested in, interest in the new It. Yeah, me either. And, and the original It freaked me out to where I still, when I talk about it, I'm irked. Yeah, I, I don't... I, I don't do horror. I can't. I, can't, I don't I understand it. I cannot do it. I can do it, but okay. I, I have you know what, no interest. You know what I really like it's, hearing? I like hearing about like the behind-the-scenes thing. So well, the guy yeah. who plays the new Pennywise, Bill Skarsgård, he was on Jimmy Kimmel. And he's talking about it, and he goes, the gnarly thing is, like, I realized during a scene where I have, like, one of the kids, like, in my grasp, and I'm, like, drooling, and, like, and I'm, like, all in his face, and he's crying and, like, getting choked up. He said, and as I'm filming the scene, in the back of my mind, I'm going, what am I doing? He goes, <laughs> exactly. he goes, he goes I think I'm, like, traumatizing this kid. He, like, he, this kid's, like, this kid's like 11 years old. He I just goes, witnessed goes, this kid's yelled, coke habit forming. The best, <laughs> the best was... Aaron Carter? Hey, he, said this was the, he said this was the best part. Um, he said, so they yell cut, and all of a sudden, you know, like, I, and I just look at him, and I'm like, hey, man, are you okay? He goes, without stopping, the kid goes... Love what you're doing with the character. Man. Love what you're doing. Love the direction you're going. He, he goes, I'm just sitting there like, love what you're doing with the character. <laughs> like, and so like hearing stuff like that, I'm like, oh, now I kind of want to see it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love behind the scenes stuff yeah. just generally. But oh, wait, so Josh, you're a horror fan. Do you like going to see horror movies? Uh, not frequently, but if it's if it's based on something that I've like read or seen as a yeah. kid, like I, I do like it's It's kind of a novel feeling, you know, just going and be Kyle, are you, are you that same way? I won't go see... Things like like I'll watch something like it because mm-hmm. it's like to me something like it is is like watching like like fantasy right like but I don't watch movies that are like like paranormal activity okay. like 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 spiritual warfare so you're okay with like I, yeah I, slasher films I can't, yeah like I can't do the possession films I can't yeah like things like things like that like I don't I don't I don't mess with any of those right. but see, see I feel are like you a horror f- are you not absolutely not, me not. I, I see. I feel like the scariest thing for me to watch would be the clown. I feel like I'm like that seems scarier than the yeah, paranormal activity. Because for like, me, the paranormal activity is like I know in the technology's gotten to the point where like I can't see the strings, but like I can see the strings pulling the bed sheet off. Like, low key, I can almost see a guy becoming a clown mm-hmm. and losing his. Well, mind. that would that happened like they were having those attack those clown attacks like last yeah, year it was all over the like, country. Yeah. yeah, I was I was pretending not to be afraid, <laughs> but low key, I it's kind of when you hear a noise and you're married and you have to be like you know your wife. Goes all right, you're up, and you're like, why? 
Oh, why am I a business? Why do I have to be I, a, I think, yeah. I think you make it, a loud noise acting like you're, you're not scared? I think of it this way. I think of it <coughs> like, like I know spiritual warfare is a real thing. Right. Okay. And so that, that freaks me out. I know that I know that Tim Curry dressed as a clown is not going to climb up through a shower drain. So that's the TV version. I just, again, I yeah, just, that's the, the, the TV mini-series. version. Yeah. Of it. I haven't seen, I haven't seen any of it because I do not like he horror didn't, films. He didn't, he just looked like a clown in that though. He didn't really look like a Which monster. Which to me is that. more yeah. terrifying. Yeah. Like a guy who looks like a normal clown and then is a murderer. Yeah. I stayed not away from sewage clown. drains for a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you see that they, uh, someone kept were, tying. Were you playing around sewage drains before it hit? Yes, Keith. He was poor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what we had, Keith. Yeah. Paper boats. Hey, I don't know. Those were my toys. It babysat us. Yeah. We kn- we knew where home base was. All right. So back to the original question. Yeah. Sorry. We, yeah. We, yeah what's the question, man? We digressed yeah, a lot. Anyways, um, I'll let you guys know how it is. Do you think so? If you notice now, a lot of the new books coming out by these uh, like teen authors, I guess you can call them. They're they're very simple. There's no depth to them. It's kind of a non-intelligent book it's it's like that most of it's like romance stories they have stories about vampires and werewolves my sister's reading this stupid thing about uh fallen angels that fall in love like every 15 years or something and they with humans or it's completely ridiculous but <laughs> do you think that we're losing our interest in knowledge like in intelligent writing and in, in uh intelligent ways of expressing ourselves um so everybody's staring or pointing at me, so I guess I'll go. Um, so I think one of the interesting questions, sort of what's underlying this question is this idea that um, are we, are, is it a straight up question? Are we going away from well, sort of like well-written work? Are we, are we not interested in, in intelligent and well-crafted writing? Or is that, is expression going away from the written work, right? So, so what I was thinking about is like, are we just now going to be moving into different forms of expression? So are we losing eloquence altogether or are we just, is it shifting into a different area of um, art or expression? I, I think that that would be the question right. that immediately come to mind. Right? right. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's cause it, it feels like it, give it another like five years and people aren't like, unless you grew up with an author, like reading an author like Stephen King, nobody's going to read it anymore. Even like you go back to books like uh, uh, Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. Like there's, it's, the only reason people Beautiful still read book. that, yeah, it's a great book, but the only reason people still read it is because, uh, you know, it has... Uh, they're um, assigned it in class. They're assigned it in class. Yeah, same thing with The Great Gatsby. Yeah. So it, I, I think, and maybe this is just because of, like, the circle that I run in, um, being the dominantly involved in, like, the Christian community, I, I don't know a lot of people that still, like, uh, recreationally read fiction. You, know you shut I mean? your mouth, like, <laughs> like you know what I mean. Like I don't know. Oh, I don't. I don't think I'd be able to name ten or fifteen people who like who avidly read fiction. Yeah. I know, especially within like, especially within like that community, they're reading a lot of like books from pastors and Christian writers uh, and things like that that are more writing. I don't know. Would you call them like? Um, in Christian, they call it Christian. Christian living is yeah, how Barnes, it's yeah, how Barnes and Noble describes it, or like spiritual formation books. Or yeah, something like that. yeah. Um, and so it's it's rare. Like like you're talking about these like romance, like not rom- not romance novels, like from a grocery store, um, <laughs> but like these like teen fiction. And I guess on my end, I'm thinking like I don't really know anybody that reads those. But I don't know. Maybe that's just me. I am I am going through Harry Potter right now. Whoa! I'm a little late. <laughs> 
Yeah, no spoilers, right? You don't want any spoilers. I'm yeah. still behind you on that. Yeah, I felt like, because you know what? I felt like by not reading them, I said, I feel like I'm like missing out on a piece of culture. Right. Well, and then that becomes another interesting question, I think, that, that you raise. Is the, well, this whole idea started with the fact that it was a movie, and that's what prompted Josh, you to re- go back and read it, right? Right, right. So the other idea is, like, are we reading, to Kyle's point, are we not reading recreation, recreationally anymore, or are we only reading because we feel like we're missing out on culture, right? So there are certain books that you kind of feel like you have to read, just like there's certain movies or TV shows. Like, um, anybody Which here, anybody here be, not seen Breaking Bad? I've seen, I know you've of seen it. parts, seen of, it? parts yeah. of it. Yeah. yeah. But, like, if you've ever talked to someone, you feel like, and this was before I, I started watching it, it's like, I felt like I was missing out on something, or... Other movies, like Sopranos, The Wire, or... And I'm just... as The other thing is, like, I went back this summer with my wife to go to watch Friends, because I'd never really seen Friends. I hadn't watched the original run of it. So it's like, I always felt like I had kind of missed something. So you wonder if that's part of it, is if we're only reason, reading because it's become, like, a collective cultural experience. Um, well, and it sounds like you have a concern. There's, a, there's a concern, right, for... For just good story, because I mean, good I good storytelling. Storytelling, like that's mm-hmm. yeah. So, so then, good so storytelling in the written word. In the yes. written, well, I mean, even, you can even go to movies too and say because, like, I, I know having taken film classes, they have this thing where when you write a film, they like you to keep it to a uh, an acronym of K I S S, keep it simple, stupid. So they just want you to constantly assume that the audience is not mm. very smart. Mm. So. Okay, so I, I come in and I go, it seems that there's a whole nother machine going on that is cultivating and creating the lack of desire to read good work. Therefore, why would I write good work if no one wants to read good work? Right. And if, and if recreational reading, if you will, is not something that is very popular amongst people growing up or people in people period in culture anymore part of it, I get I go into motive we have access to so much so much means of entertainment most mm-hmm. we have our phone we, we we we're growing up now in a blog culture mm-hmm. we're growing up in a article driven culture where okay mm-hmm. I'll read an article barely um, and can I get through that? And that has a lot to do with attention span. To really commit, I'm not even talking about the it novel, 1500 page it novel, the attention span of a, yeah, I mean, right? Kyle's smiling because he goes, Josh is yeah. his hero right yeah. now. 1500 pages? <laughs> That's like 20 books to me. Well, because even <laughs> thinking, yeah, and I think, I, think, I think what's going on is Kyle's going, thinking about digesting that seems absolutely impossible and then do I want to commit to that? And so I think there's an undercurrent there, whereas I don't even think people are capable of s- sticking around. They could, they could consume heavy amounts of Netflix series. They can mm-hmm. veg on that all day long because they sit there mindlessly, but they're also watching it while watching their phone and their three or four different right. apps. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm saying that the reason that maybe your concern is going to come to fruition is because our, what is happening in this machine over here of co- constantly deadening the desire to sit and be bored, to sit and think through, to con- they can't concentrate. The, the long, uh, public speakers, this is why TED Talks are 18 minutes, because we can't concentrate. They have a system in TED Talks. There's about 11 step system in which you do a TED Talk. And so TED Talks, they keep it short and simple, right? But it's good stuff. And, and so they, say, they said our attention span is dwindled to 
15 second uh, intervals, I think it is. So you go, try to read a, a 300 page book. You're over here crushing a 1500 page novel. <laughs> Kyle's still, he's sweating. He can't even try to figure it Yeah, he's <laughs> reading pamphlets. I'm, I'm looking ahead to like books five through seven of Harry Potter going, <laughs> That's that's gonna be rough because those are like what? Those are, those yeah, are like, They're like seven hundred pages. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seven eight hundred pages. Like, yeah. and so well, you go, you you yeah. go. So, Keith. Yes. You've read <laughs> all the books. All, all of them. <laughs> and all the greats, all the good ones. You, yeah. You well, teach you so, teach through right. them. Right. So I think to your point, Travis, is that. So I just came back to the semester about three weeks ago, and I have to get back into it. And I most How long of were the you summer. Off, Keith? I was, we don't need to talk about this, guys. <laughs> it was a while. Quarter of a year? <laughs> more. <laughs> yeah, more. It's a third of the year, basically. Keith's excited to be back. Yes, uh, I am excited to be back. But to your point, so Travis, cool. is that I, I, I mean, I have spent my entire life reading. As long as I've been able to read, you've, you could find me with a book in my hand, probably reading about two or three books at a time. Not simultaneously, but like I can put a book down, pick up a different one that I've started already. So, but, so I've had 25 plus years of training. I take the summer off, the first two weeks of every semester, I still have to get my brain back in shape. Mm -hmm. I think what we fail to understand, and, but Travis, you're sort of pointing this, is that our, our reading brain is, is something we have to condition to do that. And if we're not conditioning it, so... It, Josh, to your question, it's almost a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Is like if we're not, it, it's not that work, good works won't be written. It's that if people aren't reading them, there's no point in producing them. Yeah. Right. Let me ask this. Maybe this is a stretch. This is not class. You do not maybe have to raise I'm your hand, Kyle. To, maybe I'm going to connect things that aren't connected, but maybe I am. Welcome um, to what about this? Yeah. Um, do you think that? What, is, what could be happening is you have kids today growing up with so much technology right at their fingertips that they don't really have to like play make-believe or, or like, you know, like make spaceships out of cardboard boxes and build tree houses. Hold on. And so then what happens is because of that, their, whatever part of their brain that really develops their imagination has been stifled. And then because like books, especially fiction require a bit of imagination on your end. So maybe if they're not as imaginative, books are not as enjoyable. Therefore they're not reading them. Well, to your point is they're teaching why boredom is important for creativity. And we are growing up, kids are growing up in a society in which boredom doesn't exist because even when I'm bored, I have something to entertain right. to Kyle's point. Right. And so I'm saying, I don't know if that's too much of a stretch. No, I mean, or that, that makes sense. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, it's tragic too, like the, the death of imagination. Like I am imagining this, uh, you know, imagining us going back to a time where, you know, if you were to write a fictional book and there, there's like a monster dragon inside of it, people are like, no, that's stupid. That's, that can never happen. So we're kind right. of going back to that because we have so many books on like philosophies and self-help and right. all this stuff. And, that's, and people just eat that up like crazy. Well, it also, I think, it also speaks to um, what is the role of imagination in the larger society, right? Why does imagination exist, right? When, what, what are the conditions that produce good imagination, right? Well, for a long time, I mean, if you look at histories, even just in America, there's a lot of it when it comes to conflict, right? So we're coming out of a, an eight-year run where we were relatively low conflict 
in all aspects. Economic, I mean, other than the crash in 07 and 08, from 08 on when we were on the up, upswing, and I'm not trying to, to like gloss over the fact that a lot of people struggled. I'm not saying that, but just nationally, we didn't, we didn't have a lot of conflict economically. We didn't have a lot of conflict politically, meaning we had sort of gilded over it. We had, we had sort of ignored it because of some sort of political circumstances, and we were kind of withdrawing from our international conflicts abroad. So we were kind of low conflict. We're coming out of an eight-year where kids grew up in that. Well, let's just call it out, right? And this, I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but we had the first black man elected as president. And for about eight years, the nation was like, good, we're, we've gotten past some really dark times in our history. Obviously, what happened last year has sort of proven that wrong. Um, but for eight years, anybody born in between 05 and 15 grew up in a world that they saw as idealistic. Mm-hmm. So there's no need to imagine because you're living in a world that has produced that that is the the ideal, right? Right. So if you have low conflict, there's no need to struggle. And I think a lot of times creativity, imagination comes out of conflict and struggle. And so if that's the case, mm. then then imagination probably took a back seat because and that's why self help philosophy took a front seat because when you have the spare time and you don't have to. You don't have to escape your day-to-day realities. You want to try to improve yourself. Mm, so you're like, let's just work on me. So, right, yeah. Like, so, so you talk about struggle. It's Reading a novel is a, it's struggling. Yeah, but you have to struggle with it. But picking up a phone and, picking and, and pressing play for your Netflix series is zero. Right. It's zero. It's low commitment. It's low right. commitment, right. and you can, you can totally right. get away with it. Well, and, and then, like I said, there's no need to feel like you need to escape your day-to-day reality. Now, the truth is, the other truth is, we were also in that same era, that same era I was just talking about, from like 05 to 15, what they called peak television, right? The golden age of television, where we had really, really, really good artistic, creative shows on television. Mm. That That's where we put a lot of our creative and imaginative energy rather than into novels. And that could be another, because the other thing I was, like I said, was one of my original points is maybe we're going away from the written word, meaning the written where we sit down in a parlor and read. And maybe we're going more towards the oral performative word Hmm. where we have movies, TV shows, because there's just, I mean, we've had some really profound movies come out in the last few years. We've had some profound TV. And again, the four guys sitting in this room, most of us listen to podcasts. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's where I'm finding a lot of eloquence today. Not that I'm not finding it in books, Begin because again that's my life. But so is there something else going on that um, was there? There used to be a desire to read the good works and a desire for good written works, and maybe the desire has shifted. It could be. Yeah, I, yeah. Because it you know it seems like a lot of these authors that are out now wouldn't have gotten to where they are today without a certain desire to read their material. Yeah, and and well, this is a whole other thing. So then, is it is it because? On some level, you're saying, oh, it's a bad thing that no one's going to produce good works anymore. And, I mean, I would agree with that, but there's another thing going on is also no one desires to read the greats, like even like Frankenstein. Right. And, you know, so it seems like there's another element to it. Or I, Do you think this could also be... Uh, now I'm wondering. This could be interesting. Do you think this could also be the golden age of because of the golden age of television and Netflix and right. things like that? Um, so not only is this affecting literature, but could this also be affecting films? In that people now it is much easier because I bet you if Netflix released the numbers of how many people watch 
TV shows, like especially like right. thirty minute shows, right. to how many people sit and watch and finish full movies. Right. It's probably it's probably right. heavily favored like the right. thirty minute TV shows. Right. But I will say to to sort of counter your point and and sort of play off of. Uh, Kyle's point, counter your point, Travis. I don't think that people aren't willing to sit through difficult experiences and digest them. Mm-hmm. I just don't know if it's reading anymore, right? Because, I mean, again, I'm not saying that this is a difficult experience or a difficult text, but lots of people will sit and watch Game of Thrones and actually not have their phones with them and not yeah. sort of be dual screened, right? Yeah. But people are willing to sit and watch profound things or experience profound things. They just may not want to do it as much well, as yeah, I think that's what I was. Text. That's yeah. what I was saying. Yeah. Is I don't think they have a desire to do it through text. Yeah, and I don't think our culture actually um, cultivates that desire to read the great works, whereas maybe they we are desiring to sit down. You're saying and think through, and, right? And like you're saying, I, I do think a lot of people do listen to podcasts and yeah. want to listen oh, and and want to yeah. think through big topics or difficult things. Um, well, I mean, quite honestly, that's why we started yeah. this. What about this? Because yeah. we, we wanted to find group. I would also say to, to the earlier point about whether we're going to be doing it written or not, I mean, the written word and the primacy of the written word is relatively new um, in human history. And mm-hmm. even since sort of the invention of mass distribution of written texts, so the printing press in the mm-hmm. 1545, I want to say, um, up through now, much of that history, it was still really expensive to own books. Mm-hmm. So you had to be very wealthy. Um, you had to have access to publishing, which for much of human history was in the upper class. And then that tended to be, as it sort of transferred over to here, tended to be take on certain social economic practices as well, mm. race, age, um, religion, things like that. Um, and then it's not until 1950, really. I mean, the, at 1700s, 1800s, novels start getting published. It's late, so 1850 to 1950 and on is like when novels were like the prime art form. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, but that's so that's a hundred years. Okay. So you know what I mean? Like, so then, that's a hundred years. Okay. So then, is it really a negative thing for culture if? Pre that time, really the way we mm. were it, even entertained or we consumed right. information was through, I don't know, what would, I mean. Well, I mean, it? think about it. If, if I, I'll ask this question if from your guys' like schooling and just what you know, what is, who's the greatest English language author? Who would we, we who do we typically say? Shakespeare? Yeah. What did he write? Plays, <laughs> not novels. Yeah. So he, no one read Shakespeare. Everybody watched Shakespeare. That, and that's what I yeah. think I was getting. I was like, what did they do to consume? And I, so yeah, I, I think it's a cool kind of perspective. Maybe instead of is it a negative thing? Like it gets to Josh's point. They're writing cheesy teen love novels, and someone's just going, ah, it just feeds my family. Right. <laughs> like, and that's yeah, always would, been true. I would say the big, the big, the biggest thing to me is the time versus excitement excitement factor Mm -hmm. in that I don't want to invest as much time uh, or yeah as much of my life into sitting down and reading a chapter or even 
watching a two-hour movie. Right. If I'm going to do that, it's one of these, like, it better be good. Right. Um, or else, like, it's going to lose my interest very quickly, mm-hmm. whether I'm watching something long or reading something long. And so that's why I think the TV show yeah. is thriving. Yeah. Even, if it, even if the TV show hour. is, like, even if the TV show is not great, it's 30 minutes to right. an hour. Right. Yeah, but like you said, too, it's low commitment. Right. That's what I'm saying, yeah. But it doesn't mean the struggle's not there or right. that it can't produce deep thinking right and so i'm saying yeah and so that's like that is yeah what we're saying low commitment that even if it's not great it doesn't matter it's like 30 minutes and the truth is the truth is how many people do we know that could read and i don't mean this is a bad thing but how many people do we know that could read a book that does a fiction book especially that produces sort of deep thinking that they kind of know how to draw that out of text mm-hmm. where they do yes. know how to draw it out of a movie they do know how to draw it out of. A they've been trained show. so right. to your point right. i remember years ago Someone is asking you, like, how can you read that much? And you're like, well, you go to the gym, right? Right. And you said, and, and to your point is when you go back to semester, the first mm-hmm. two weeks, you're like getting back in the gym. Right. right. And you've been training that muscle right. to be able to do that. And so I don't see, and I don't see a dumber generation. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, it right. no, I agree necessarily. Well, at least not in that way. Not, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And because I, I am interacting with, with, younger people all the time right and and they do desire and i think i don't know if it's later on they desire if the desire comes later but they've also been in a system and you keith you keith have a you have an assignment you give it to your students yes and the assignment is what where they all freak out because you don't give them the play-by-play you kind of give them this creative yeah um, I'm, it's a class I, I'm teaching now. I don't know if that's the one you're talking about. We'll see if this is the one you're talking about. But it's, it's a 400-level class. These are English majors. That's actually to your point. These are English majors. They have chosen to become English majors. They love reading, and they are good at reading. They know how to, they've done many, many classes where they've learned how to interpret and draw meaning out of text. So then we, they take this class called Literary Theory, um, Cue the Groans, um, that they have to read really dense texts. And my assignment is you have to write an 18-plus page paper you choose one novel or one author, and you have to write 18 plus pages on sort of developing your own, I don't, I, I call it theory, it's not really theory, but developing your own interpretive practice. Like how do you read and why do you read that way? And mm-hmm. sort of you use this, this novel to draw, like to explain that. And I don't give them many other parameters other than that. I don't tell them what they have to include. I mean, I tell them how many pages and the format and maybe a couple other things, how many sources they need to include. Other than that, I, I'm kind of hands off. And there's two responses. There's actually there's one response at first, and they're just incredulous, like jaw dropped, I'm like what we have to do what? Then about halfway through the semester, there's two responses. I hate this paper, and they don't say I hate you, but you know, sometimes. Um, <laughs> but you right? know, but, yeah, you know. but I get it. Yeah. Eighteen pages. <laughs> they're just not brave Eight, enough to 18 tell you. Eighteen plus. Eighteen's the minimum. Jeez. Um, or there's this excitement that comes about where they realize that they've been given the freedom to really fully explore. Okay. And those are typically the students that um, are a little bit more adept. And again, this doesn't mean that the ones who struggle, I understand so, the struggle. Like, I get that that's yes. a really difficult assignment. So I'm not saying that um, it's, it's bad that they would sort of still dig in and be, be struggling. But there's this, there's this response where it's like, okay, so I get to do this thing. So it's like, but they have to get there. And remember, 400, this, they've spent typically three, four years these in English majors. Students. Like, these are seasoned yeah. students. Yeah. These are people that are ready to go to grad school to further study this stuff. Well, and, and so it, it's, it sounds very similar. I think you do it with a lower level class, entry level kind of class. Sure. And you give them this assignment. You give them zero rules other than 
uh, here's the topic or you give them space and they always come back like, how do I get an A? Oh yeah. I mean, that's true across the board. You know, yes. students will come like, yes. I will, I, I tend to be more than other people who teach at the institutions I teach. I tend to be a little bit more hands off and open ended. Like I give them a prompt and then they, it's open ended. I don't like to, gu- I like to guide them, but I don't like to give them too many parameters. And the response you told me was they kind of go, I need those parameters. Right. And my point, what I'm trying to make with your example to me was, was they've been groomed. They've been, they've been raised in a system right. in which that freaks them out a little the bit. The answer is the, is the, the correct answer is, is what they need. Yes. And so, so you're, so they've been shaped and they've been groomed to, mm-hmm. to, to live in such a way, if you will, I don't know, uh, best way I can say it. And so I think a lot of it too is we have not been raised or groomed to be right. able to exercise the, that muscle. It's like, right. we've never done leg day. We don't go to the gym in that way, but we are going to another gym in which we excel in that area. Right. Do you, so that, that's actually a good point. So my, my mom is a teacher and so is my sister. And I always hear stories about, uh, it seems like a lot of teachers don't want to really um, expand the minds of their students anymore. It's just a job. It's a nine to five job for them. They just want to start the day. Mm-hmm. They want to end the day. So do you think that where people are, since people are no longer being encouraged to think like that, that that could be a result of what we're seeing? That's now? what I, that's what I I'm think it's, from. I think it's yeah. definitely more systemic than it is individual. I don't think individual teachers don't want to expand their children's minds. I think there are certain things that are being rewarded, like standardized testing. Yes. And wherever you land on standardized testing, there's some value in it. There's some things, there's some real big problems with it. But if your whole merit system, if your whole financial system, everything is based on that particular score, well, of course it's going to trend towards we teach for the test mm-hmm. rather than we teach for them gleaning knowledge. So then when they step in a classroom like this, right, they kind of... You know, it's an ant out of line. They don't know what to do right. with it. I, like, I have to. I have to sort of break some of those old habits, which is tough. Because and, and to your point, and I think even Josh, to your question, is like, are we, is that that? Are we losing that habit? Right? Are we losing that habit of mind of reading really well written works? Because I will say, regardless of whether we're going to oral traditions or not, back to oral traditions, I think there will be something lost in the transition where we do lose a bit of eloquence. Um, as we transition from eloquent written words to eloquent spoken words. Yeah, and I think that just, that goes back to, I'm like sticking to this. I think time is the, yeah, is the, is the huge thing. Because I think about it even this way. As I was sitting um, and looking at, it's funny, I just sit and just looked over at like my hat. Is it like, even being a huge Broncos fan, it is, it, there has, I don't, I can't, there has never been a time where I've like sat and watched a whole game like unhindered like to where like to where like I didn't look at my phone once or I didn't like get up to go like get a snack while the game is going and and I don't know it could be you or it could be someone you know who is an exception but I don't really know anybody who like even like right. s- even like sports who is like I'm going to sit here for this whole 3 hours and make sure that I'm glued to watching every play and it's structured that you don't need to do that. Right. right? The, the way that they've produced football on television now, it's like if you sit there and like I would, like if someone told me like I sat there and watched from kickoff to ending, never taking my eyes off the screen, like what kind of psycho are you? Like why yeah. did you do yeah. that? Yeah. Because they, they build in these breaks. They do. And again, if you do that, I apologize. But um, they I get build close in, to that. Right. But they but. build in these breaks where it's like, like, 
commercials and mm-hmm. halftime. And so it's like they build in time for you to, to take a step back. Yeah. What is it, 11, actually, like, what do they say? It's an actual 11-minute game? Yeah. So right. <laughs> this is just... A just play. Yeah, just to yeah, paint you yeah. a picture real quick. Sitting in a bar in New Hampshire, my mom... And myself and my sister are watching a Broncos game. It happened to be like they happened to be like Monday Night Football. And my mom goes, "I'm gonna time it. I'm gonna sit here and I'm gonna time every play." And uh, she did, and it was like the amount of football is like 11 minutes. Right. So that that makes me think. I don't know. That's a complicating factor to your whole attention span because we will have people sit in a in a room, even if they're not watching the game, but they're willing to sit in a room. And be present for that whole two hours. Yeah, and I think they're not watching the screen. So I understand that. I think it's more. I think it's more um, because when I hear that, I go, "What do you mean by this fifteen-second interval attention span?" Or they, they um, teachers are. I guess I'm hearing that teachers are making kids get up every ten minutes because it, like, the younger that they are, because it, uh, like, kind of. breaks it up and it allows right. them to get re-engaged, especially right. at a young age. And so I'm saying that deep, deep focus. Right. So what they call like deep work mm-hmm. um, is, I was listening to this guy speak, he said, I'm not knocking social media. He goes, I don't do it because I know who I am. Right. And if I had it, it would interrupt my deep work. And he said, a lot of people don't do deep work anymore. And he was saying that it is taking a little bit of, um, Help me out with the word, but is um, he's t- he's taking away. You you guys can't see this, but <laughs> Travis is talking while his child is just petting his face, grabbing his beard, putting Tyson his hand does in not his mouth. Want you to keep yeah, talking. he's like, yeah. Yeah. Like, she says your point is invalid. I object. Do you object, dude? All right. Well, you by the way, Tyson talk, so. is Tyson. Uh, Travis's son is in on the podcast. Yeah, thing. he's he's like, hi, Ty. he's like ten years old. <laughs> <laughs> He's not tomorrow. Yeah. Nope. You're not, you're not gonna say, say anything. No. All right. Okay. Um, but wait, I, wait, wait. What do you say about objective beauty? Yeah. yeah. Also, he's not. He's not ten. That was a yeah. joke. He's yeah. a baby. He's how old is he now? Six months. Uh, five months. Five months. All right. Thanks. Five months, and he's close to saying dada. So we will get there. Whoa. It's in your face, mom. So <laughs> baby geniuses. Go watch yeah. He'll be sitting in. Talk yeah. about baby geniuses speaking of eloquence. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. yeah, speaking of eloquence, to your point yeah. is even if, say, we go back to this oral uh, culture right. of, and you go, well, maybe in order to get there, it has to break through some walls in, in order for it right. to, for us to go, wow. Right. You know, for us to go, man, they're producing good works because this is kind of new. It right. would be new, even though it's old, but it's new today because right. we've gone so far away from it. And, and so until that happens, we kind of have a bone to pick with, uh, no one reads and uh, no one's producing good yeah. works, but we're right. now producing good works in other areas, which isn't a negative thing. It's not, I mean. Yeah, it's not. I think, again, that for me, the, the bigger question is, if we're, if what I would lament more losing than I would lament losing eloquence more than reading. Not that because I think it's less important, meaning reading isn't less important, but there, as we said right before we started recording, like 
it's a very small moment, or actually even on the pod, it's a very small moment where reading was like the primary thing. The written word was more important yeah. than the oral word. And so it's not that we haven't, again, I mean, we can talk about our own tradition in the, the letters that Paul writes to the church. We can talk about the books I teach from ancient Greece. We can talk about even the books you teach, like Shakespeare, the writers you teach, like Shakespeare. All of it's heard, not read. Mm. So it's like, it's not that, and they're all very, very eloquent pieces. So it's not that that's the problem. I would, what I would worry about, and I'm, and there are some other worries for me looking at, looking out on the landscape of culture today. Like, I feel like there's also a, a slide away from eloquence and more towards sensationalism in speaking, right? In, right. in sort of expression. Or it's like, people aren't worried about nuance and language and all that. They're just worried about capturing an audience. Yeah, capturing an audience. Does my point come across, right? So who's doing? So who's doing that well? Who's to to kind of what? Who are some? So I the, what I started thinking about when you're talking about eloquence and even the podcast world. I like to tune into revisionist history, right. which you and Mal, is it Malcolm Gladwell? Yeah, Gladwell. Gladwell and. He not only makes me really think deeply, and I gotta pause sometimes. I gotta whoa, but right. he all, the the way it's the produced, way he communicates, yeah. The way, but also hit the cadence of his voice right. Right. and the subject matter. I'm going, man, this is gold. Right. This I can I can digest this all day long, and I walk out of there asking so many questions about life. Right. I I go, man, that was eloquent. Right. Obviously, he's an author, right? And yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, he's telling these stories mm-hmm. and he's telling and he's tapping right. in this, this kind of new art form or uh, Kyle had me listen to a podcast. Which, which one? Um, the Crime Town? And, and no, More not Crime Town. Uh, More Perfect was good. What was it? More, More Perfect, Perfect about, the, about yeah. the Supreme Court. If you haven't listened to More yeah. Perfect, Go, yeah. hit, Crime hit pause on this yeah, right stop now. Stop listening to us. <laughs> Go listen to Revisionist History and More Perfect and then come back. Yeah. Yes. And you'll know what Travis is talking and about. And if you have, if you've never listened to Serial, stop mm. listening that's, to us. Uh, no. no yeah. um, that's a good one, too. You have yeah. to listen See, to us. Those true crime podcasts are taking crime off. Town. Like yeah, there's some, there's some good yeah. true crime ones. There's also some good, like, basically, I call them radio play podcasts. Not that they're radio, obviously, but, like, they're, they're plays on, like on drama, podcasts. Drama, like drama Yeah, podcast. so there's yeah. one I listened to called Life After that was really good. There's a couple other ones that I've listened to that there's also really, they, they, same thing, Travis, that you're saying. Like, I had some, either pause them or I had to stop between episodes of like, wow, that was a really, like, there's a lot of stuff I have so to unpack there. What I would call you, dense work. You right. Know, you know what this just Even, made me, you know what this yeah. just kind of made me think of? But artistically done. Yeah, exactly. Is while, while, like, written word is, uh, you know, from the outside, it looked, it is struggling. You know what, you know what I really enjoy, which I feel like would be the visual equivalent Documentaries. That's true. Yes. Yeah. Because You're right. and, and so you sit and I think you'll find a lot of people that are like, oh, I love documentaries. Like watch yeah. because what that is now doing is that's like it is a it is now gone beyond written word and it's gone beyond audiobook. Right. And it is now like I don't know, a like you could almost, you would almost call it it is like a visual book. Right. Where it's right. like I am I am taking a book on this subject that I'm really interested in, but instead of just reading and getting to and getting to imagine what it would be like, right. you are showing yeah. me. And what that is doing is that is that is a far better way to keep me engaged with this right. topic. Yeah. And so, I don't does that, and for me I don't go that doesn't stifle my imagination. No. I think looking at a painting right <laughs> makes me more 
you know, imaginative, right. if you will. Gives me something yeah. to use. Well, and again, it's just one of those things like we were talking about earlier, like reading is a relatively new practice in human history, but it is a practice. It's something people, I can't imagine that those first people, like the, when the, whatever, like the first book book was, was published, right? Yes. That people like knew how to read it, like in the way that we read today and some of the nuance and some of the, the ways we've understood it, but they knew how to sit and listen to a play Right, they knew how to yeah. sit and they knew when someone was speaking how to pick out a good speaker versus a bad speaker, um, which I think that that's something we have lost. <laughs> how to pick out a good speech as a good speech against a bad speech, and I hopefully yeah. this might be moving us back towards where we can determine what's a good speech and a bad speech. Right, right, but, yeah, and I also too I think that a lot of good fiction is a product of the times too because if right. you have like a like a lot of good pulp fiction writers like Edgar Rice Burroughs um yeah. his his John Carter of Mars was based off stories that he uh fantasized right. after his uncle came home and told him about how his cuz he was a confederate soldier he came home and told him stories about the civil war mm. and then he uh <clears throat> basically took his uncle's stories and he turned it into this big like kind of space epic so right. i guess it, it just it, it so that's it, an interesting point though because mm-hmm. What you're tapping into is, man, they had something that was driving, right. you know, the core of their, their writing, if you will. Yeah. They, they had, there's this deep or rich kind of culture mm-hmm. happening or the time, the times. That's an interesting point that you're making. Because he, he kind of took like this, tr- the, the, you know, the, the, the tragedy of the Civil right. War and he turned it into a kind of a mm-hmm. more heroic tale. Yeah. Well, and I think that does go back to some of our earlier podcasts that we talked about, the idea of, like, what is the cultural narrative? Like, what is our narrative that we're telling ourselves and the stories? What are the stories we're passing down? And maybe that's where, Josh, you're also finding some problems is that, like, maybe just the stories we're telling ourselves, like, collectively, corporately, are just not great stories that we're, like, to tell ourselves, like, to tell. Like, again, stories based on conflict, Go back. It's from the very beginning of story. There needs to be something needs to be happening. You can't just have, you can't just say like, we're great. We've always been great. We'll always will be great. That's not a good story. Um, there, if there's no conflict, there's no struggle. Like so, so maybe I, that's I, part I, of the problem I, I too. Lose interest. Yeah. So what's interesting though, and because Kyle, you're bringing up documentaries, I almost think that we are, we are drawn to as a culture our podcasts and our, you know, and shows right. that, that remind us of real life. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Or we, we're not even interested in, in just a random story. We want to know the story. We want yeah. to know the story that, that really happened. Right. Do you yeah. see what I'm saying? Yeah. Because yeah, yeah, everything yeah. we shouted out was based yeah. on true events. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that's just where we're at in a culture. Right. That's what we desire. We desire this, we want to know what is happening. That's why. Why do you think Thirty for Thirty on ESPN is so so epic? Is right. because it's a it's a true story. It's or, not a movie about basketball. Right. It's, it's basketball. A, it's a, yeah. well, even to your point, Kyle, at the very very beginning, the, one of the reasons you want to go see it is because you found a little bit more of the true story behind it. Right. Right. You're not interested in it for its fictional thing or like it's that you're interested because you you heard a story about its creation mm-hmm. and that now you want to go see the product of that story. You know what's another good example? Um, a couple couple months ago. There he is. Yeah. <laughs> a couple months ago, uh, Taylor and I sat down and watched um, Saving Mr. Banks. Have you guys seen that? 
It's uh, Mary Poppins. Yeah, right? it's about... No, but, I know. But okay, but it's no, not I'm about Mary it. Poppins. It's about P.L. PL Travers, right. uh, the woman who wrote Mary Poppins oh, and her and how she came to... Basically, how she came to know Walt Disney and the uh, and the the process it took for Walt Disney to acquire the rights to Mary Poppins right. and then her inspiration behind the story, why she didn't want to give it up because it was so personal. Right. And they kind of get into the weeds of the story. And then, as you know, eventually, because I'm sure you've seen Mary Poppins, you know that, <laughs> spoiler alert, Walt gets the, <laughs> the, right, the right to the movie. Um, and right after I watched that, you know what Taylor and I said? And then what we did? What? We said... Let's watch Mary Poppins. Oh. And so now, like, we watch, which we would never do. Right. We watch two movies back to back. And it was because as we watched the first one, we were like, well, now I have to go back and watch Mary Poppins. Right. And, and what it does, too, honestly, is I think, like, it gives you, like, more, like, it, I was far more engaged mm-hmm. after watching Saving Mr. Banks, um, which, if you haven't seen that, you should. It's great. Uh, Tom Hanks is Walt Disney in it, and he's awesome. Um, but yeah, and so and so that that was exactly where I was coming from. Now yeah. that I've seen the background, I want to know more. Well, and there's also there's a, another element to all of this. Um, the other the really popular movies and stories that we are being told in the last ten years are the superhero movies, right? right. Which I love them. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them, but one of the problems that that has produced in us is that. Um, that it is all spectacle and very little plot. Yeah. All of the huge superhero plots are very much, they, you can reduce them all to one or two, right? Um, so it's all about the visual spectacle. Well, visual spectacle is interesting and it does cause you to maybe think a little bit, but not in the same way that plot might, right? So yeah. we're interested in the visual idea of things and that's fine, but, but in terms of representing story, it's not always the best way. Right. And then they just go off of, like, you know, you have the Marvel Universe, which right. you're, you're very uh, keen to. But would you yeah. say that Marvel, ha- pretty decently, they have, like, a formula for a superhero They movie. do, yeah. but, it like, to, to Keith's point, it's, it's all about spectacle to, like, people go and watch those. Like, if you notice how Ant-Man did significantly less uh, in box office revenue than like the Avengers did because it actually had a story to it that you had to follow whereas it wasn't just a bunch of explosions and like aliens crashing into buildings and And, stuff and I want to be clear that's what I mean by spectacle it's like I'm not because visual storytelling is still important and I think there's a lot you can glean from it I'm talking about the explosions the set pieces the things where it's like big fighting scenes big fight yeah yeah and that's and again I'm entertained by them I think they're fun but they don't cause me to think Right, right. right. I'm not thinking like, oh, how is Captain America punching that alien? And what does that tell me about life? Like, I'm not thinking that. I'm like, yes, this you means punch something. him harder. Yeah. You know who? You know who? I think at least in the at least with within our lives has done an amazing job at creating a visual spectacle along with uh, a great story. Who Who do you think I'm going to say? Are you going to say the one we were talking about earlier? I don't know. Say no. it. George Lucas. Okay, I was going to say Wes uh-huh. Anderson. Oh, but. yeah. But no, I was going to say... <laughs> we're doing a whole podcast. Uh, yeah, we're just, Okay, but you're Star, right. No, George Lucas. Star George Wars. Lucas, yeah. Um, in the, what they have done, even even now with the new one that he was less involved with. Right. Um, but, and so, like, someone like J.J. Abrams, too, mm-hmm. who is connected with that. Um, I feel like that is a great job of more than Avengers. It is... <laughs> 
it is, I am loving what I'm seeing, but at the same time, like I have to pay attention right. or I'm going to, or I'm going to mm. miss a piece Right. To, yeah. where, to where like the Avengers to where like the Avengers and maybe the, this could also be just me, but it's one of those where, okay, I missed a piece of the story, but I still get that like, that's Captain America, that's right. Iron Man. Yeah. 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 And I agree with I think that there is, there are, there, that's what I mean. Like there's lots of great visual storytelling out there. So um, I, I think that that's not, I'm not saying that, that we shouldn't have those sorts of stories. But yeah, I mean, Lucas has done a great job. A lot of those guys in like the 70s were really good at that. Um, after sort of that first run where it was basically just filmed musicals for a while. Yeah. <laughs> and then like in the 70s, 80s when the, the auteur sort of came out and like they were really di- diving in. I mean, some, another one who was really good at it, um, I struggle with his works, it's like Kubrick, right? Okay. Yeah. Kubrick was like a really good visual storyteller even though some of them I'm just like, all right, I've seen this ship trying to dock for five minutes now. We get it, Kubrick. Yeah. But there, I mean, he had some. Lucas had some. I mean, even people like uh, Spielberg. Spielberg is really good at visual storytelling, mm-hmm. and they aren't. There is spectacle in it, but it's not the main point of it, right? Right. Right. I mean, we all. I mean, how many was it, Kyle? When you watch like the the Force Awakens and then the the Kylo Ren's lightsaber, like I got really excited because that was a cool moment, right? But like, but that whole scene of them fighting in the forest mm-hmm. is great visual storytelling, right? right? When he's like slamming his side because he's hurt or whatever, right? right? And so, you know, and that's why, that's why I, I'm sorry, I keep like leaning. Right, no, um, that's why, while, while, I mean, without getting too much into Star Wars, where like Darth Vader is like my guy. But then looking at like Kylo, mm-hmm. you know why he's so interesting within the story is because he's the first like major villain I think within the series and I could be wrong and some like Star Wars buff is going to come out of the woodworks and correct me I don't really care um he's the first like major villain in that that like he is very conflicted yeah he's very conflicted and he's a little bit weak like a little bit and that like you never see Darth Vader when he's hurt like showing that he's hurt well and that's what I think Lucas was attempting in that in the the, the prequel mm-hmm. ones was to show the buildup of the conflict of, our, uh, of Vader. Mm-hmm. I don't think it always worked. Right. <laughs> but, it was but, kind of like a light switch mode, though. He just like I know, <laughs> but but I, that's why I think that Kylo Ren. You're right. Is he's interesting for that, right? Mm-hmm. He's interested in that. Like, there's clearly something. There's a history that's really dark in a way that's similar to the Darth Vader story, but like he's not just a straight up because that first the first Star A New Hope, the first Star Wars. Vader's just like, just just killing. Yeah, just, I mean, and I, that's I actually love that moment in Rogue One where mm-hmm. he's kind of like a, like the slasher fig, figure in like just just like wrecking guys. Right. And just, right. Yeah, just yeah. like just like no mercy. Yeah, but like but and that created its own interest of someone who is so like purely evil, right? That's its own conflict. But right. you're right that there is this conflicted thing, and I think we appreciate those sorts of those ones. Yeah. So we started with literature and it. And, and we ended and it. it was Star Wars. We ended at Star Wars. Yeah. So this, yeah. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by the movie It now in theaters. <laughs> yeah. oh, if only that were true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What do you guys think? <laughs> it is. We don't listen to you guys. No. Yeah. <laughs> if you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff 
always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. That to, to us people that can feel things, it it uh, it hurts.